Hi, and welcome back to the Maximu Podcast. This is David Levy, and I am here with all your favorite Maximu friends for the third and final installment of the 2018 Maximunion. Here we go. All right, we are back. These are normally the listener questions, but really I just pulled listener questions that we got in the past because we wanted to surprise you guys with Maximu episodes like the, like Beyonce does. Um, yeah. I mean, Max promotion. surprises you with Maximu albums. Um, <laughs> So, uh, what? This is the Isaac Butler question, the infamous Isaac Butler question. What performer or performance this year moved your Kinsey number? Jack, you seemed like you had an answer ready, so I'm going to start with you. Listen, y'all know me. I have talked about Sheldon Best on this question many times before. Uh, uh, young man Damon from the Sexy Oklahoma. A big reason why it was the Sexy Oklahoma. Yes, we all know about them. <laughs> They're here Jack. for us. For me, though, the, the, my new crush uh, is uh, a young man named Daniel K. Isaac. Daniel K. Isaac is an actor slash playwright. He's actually a playwright in uh, the Youngblood program um, at Ensemble City Theater. Wonderful playwright. But he was one of the two actors in The Chinese Lady by Lloyd Tsai, which is one of my favorite plays of the year. Um, and he is not playing a particularly sexy character in that play. But he's got this like deep timber to his voice. And he's just, he just, his body's just right with it. And I just... <laughs> Hi, Daniel. <laughs> also, um, I, I did a show with him years ago, and all he did was wear suits, and oh, suits on suits on suits. <laughs> Loved it. You know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a couple, because every year I have a couple. I'm glad you brought up Peter Pan at Bard, because definitely on my list for Kinsey Scale moving numbers was trans comedian Peter Smith, who played Peter Pan. Adorable. Um, Anna Villafagne from Collective Rage, which also. Um, and Janet McTeer, always, because, you know. But also the orchestrations of Oklahoma. <laughs> love is love. Which way does that move your kids? Oh, my God. I don't, it's, I don't know. It's like the needle. It's, it's just all over love. the place. It, it's her sexual orientation now. It is, yeah. Um, I'm going to say the production Eve song at the Public Theater by Patricia Ioni. Lloyd. Ion Lloyd. Definitely, there are a lot of uh, stories about the gay male experience, but not about the lesbian experience and then a black lesbian experience. Um, and so I was just like, um, mm, okay, because the the character, one of the characters is juicy like me, you know, very squeezable and huggable, <laughs> you know. So I was like, oh, yes. So that was exciting. As I did last year, um, I'm, I'm picking... Uh, as, as someone in the middle of the Kinsey spectrum, I'm picking people across the gender and sexuality mm. spectrum mm. who were sexy. All right. Um, <laughs> so I'm mentioning again um, Satya Sritaran, who was through things gingerly. Uh, <laughs> I saw him in three things this year. I don't know. And he always plays like the young sexy dude. He's correct. So you will watch him throw things sexily, throw things softly, throw things aggressively, any which way. I'll, just throw him. Just throw him. Now we know what Ben's into. Um, (laughs) I saw saw a play at Columbia, of all places, called Skin Flick City, um, which was an adaptation of uh, Buck Angel's life, um, the trans man porn star. And Mia Longenecker, who played Buck Angel, was good. And then uh, I will call it both members of the cast of Singlet at the Bushwick Star, Aaron Uh, Aaron Markey, (laughs) um, who uses both she and they pronouns, and Emily Davis. Many, many sexy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penny Maria, you were referencing the character Upendo Hockey Supreme from yes, Eve Song, played by, memorably by Ashley D. Kelly. Yes, Ashley D. Kelly, that is her name. And uh, yes, in her love interest. Um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting, Trey. <laughs> I'm just going to say the house that will not stand, the entire cast, uh, mostly female cast of the house, of, or all female all cast female. of the house yeah. that will not stand, was doing it for me with poetry, with the looks, mm-hmm. with the uh, dresses, mm-hmm. just giving lots of looks there. And Katie Powell's Ballets, I saw that a few years ago, and I don't want to objectify people. Uh, but yes, there were a few either transgender or women who are more butch, but I was like, yes, I am, I'm in this zone. I feel the tingle. Not going to objectify and go into details, but... All yes to ballads, and not because they're wearing tights, but just because the energy they're giving. Same thing with the house that will not stand. 
Y'all see Merle Dandridge in Once on This Island playing the God of Death? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although that play, that, that musical is problematic, but yes, this character was sexy. Uh, yeah, and, and when she takes that dagger. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right now. That is not how she looks on Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I was also going to say Aaron Marquis and Anne, Anna Villafagne, but, you know, Nicole stole them, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, the, the other one is, is an actor who I first saw in 2017, um, but she was in Queens, and her name is Nadine Malouf. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know how in Killing Eve, uh, Villanelle loves Sandra O's oh character because, like, she's, um, because she has a great head of hair, and one of the reasons. Nadine Malouf has a great head of hair, and and she is very beautiful and a great actor. So, yeah. So this one I felt a little weird mentioning um, because the the show that I saw her in, I was like, this is incredible. She's she's amazing. I want to like hang out with her. I don't know what's going. But she also was like naked for a big chunk of the show, which is Midori Francis in Usual mm. Girls. Like, but she's just so cool. And she's so cute. And I was like, let's hang out. <laughs> um, which is the same. And so that was like the new crush. And then the old crush that kind of like flittered back to the surface was I kept seeing Erin Markey pop up in things. Yeah, yeah. And I like kind of, I hadn't, nothing that I went to, I knew she was going to be in. And then I showed up and I'd be like, oh my God, there's Erin. Hey. You know, so, so it was like two different phases of a crush, I would say. So then, uh, second question is, what was the worst case of theater FOMO you suffered this year? What does that mean? I know it's fear of missing out, but what do you, like, what do you what mean do you, by like, that Like, what are you really mad that you missed? You want to take it? Well, I'll just say the first thing on my mind, which is what to send up when it goes down, mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. I haven't been able to get tickets, I've been mm -hmm. busy, and then they require you to stand an hour ahead in line, and I'm like, I'm at work in Greenpoint. There's no way I'm getting to this theater an hour ahead of time. So it's not going to happen, but I've heard it's great. I support it. Very I powerful. love it. I want to yeah. see it. Maybe I'll read it at the drama bookstore, wherever that may be, mm. uh, in 2019 and 2020. So yay. Well, I, well, the hope is that it comes back because it's one of those pieces that's not a passive, oh, this is just what happens to black people. Yeah. And that's by the Movement Theater Company. So I hopefully they it repage it. Yeah, the house that will not stand by Marcus Gardley, because all what all these people said, and also my friend Jose Solis. That's one of his top five shows of the year, mm. and I'm so mad. I'm so so mad that I didn't get to see it because it was during the summer. Why do you program good work over the summer? <laughs> I know this is uh, that's absolutely one of mine. Also, um, speaking uh, is God is I missed. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, like, I had a ticket, and then I couldn't go, and then I couldn't reschedule, and then life happened, and uh, yes. I try not to have too much FOMO, but that's one that I feel that's like, I mean, especially the Lisa Harris, you know, like, she's got other stuff, and I know I would want to have seen her work. I second that because um, I did get to see what to send up when it goes down, and that's by the same playwright. Um, uh, for Broadway, I'm going to say Harry Potter because even though it's still going on, I can't afford this show. I don't know what to do with my life. Like, I feel like I'll never get to see it. And, you know, me, I'm such a magical person. Like, I want to see the magic on stage, too. So It's yeah. good. So good. <laughs> such good magic tricks. I just want to say that if you have the kind of schedule where you can be a little bit of flexible, it's worth walking up to the box office and say, like, when can I get the $20 tickets? When can I get the $40 tickets? I've had some friends who've had oh. extraordinarily, surprisingly good luck with that. And, and I saw it from the $40 seats, and it was as good from those seats as I imagine it is from anywhere else. Thanks for that tip. Yeah, I, I mentioned already that I missed so many shows the first half of the year because I just kept getting tickets and canceling on them. I missed The Wolves again. Oh. I know, I'm an idiot. Yeah, that's your fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that show was playing for like a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I actually got, I was happy. I got to see just about everything that I really wanted to see except for, and this was just me being an idiot, uh, Lewiston and Clarkston by, um, at, at Rattlestick by um, Samuel D. Hunter. It's still running. I know, Clearly, I missed that one, too. That's well, I it closes tonight. <laughs> it closes tonight. And th th it was literally one of those things of, like, those shows uh, were running for so long, and then in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I have time. And then suddenly, it was like, oh, it's closing this week. And I went, shit, and I can't go. And I, and I, I like Sam Hunter a lot, and I've seen everything else he's written. I was just like, and I've heard lovely things about it. So I was like, ah, shit. Oh, well. 
I chose not to go to sexy Oklahoma and I do have FOMA because everyone tells me it's so good, but I'm going to stick to my guns because the last time I saw a Daniel Fish show, um, <laughs> a story, a quick story, um, it was a show in which literally nothing happened. The, the point was like they set up platforms and they shined a light on, on them, then they turned the light off and then you left. And I wanted to die. Oh my God. And I then, saw that production and I hallucinated during it and I thought it was so incredible. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> um, and then the best part of that production for me was that um, there was a coat check at the front. And um, the coat check did not take numbers, did not give numbers. And uh, so we got in a huge line, everyone at the show, and they said, what does your coat look like? And we all said, black. Because <laughs> it's New York. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's like the most downtown theater thing ever. Yeah, where it's I like, know. we I'll don't do you. numbers. Just talk and describe it. Can we you just creatively express numbers. your coat? Because yeah. there's not that many people here. We're just going to go on the honor system. It's fine. <laughs> I had the black D coat. She had the black down coat. Yeah. <laughs> And this is because it was in a different part of the country, but Mike Daisy did a month-long show in Seattle called The People's History. And I know that different people around this table have different feelings about Mike Daisy. And I find him someone whose work is always challenging, whether or not I like it or agree with it. And The People's History was a month-long project looking at the history of the United States and through his unique viewpoint. And that is a viewpoint that I think I would love to engage in in this particular moment, and I'm sad that I didn't get to do it. And he did this wonderful project where he didn't make the whole show available in general on his podcast, but for people who agreed to write about it, he did. And I couldn't make that commitment at the time it was happening, and I regret not doing that. So that specifically is my FOMO. So what show do you wish more audiences had a chance to see? Um, I'll start a slave play um, by Jeremy O'Harris, which is at the New York Theater Workshop. Um, It's it was extended, I believe, and it's going into January. Um, the first act is insane. You're sitting there like, what the F is happening? Then the second act, it gets deep. They start unpacking all of these things that you're like, wait a minute. Hey. And and, and, and for me, like some things clicked personally um, because I, I – I feel like, oh, I'm very proud of my blackness, and I'm a queen, and it's your problem if you don't recognize that. But it kind of brought home a few things as to, like, why I feel certain ways when things go down. Um, And so it was just, like, very revealing but also creepy, but it kind of gets into your psyche. And, like, I thought it was insane, but I'm like, actually, it kind of makes sense. It's just so layered on so many different levels. Um... And, the, and then they have a mirror um, as, as part of the set. So, you know, the entire time, it's kind of reflecting all of this foolishness back at you. It's kind of like why white, it shows you like white supremacy is crazy and this is why. And we're all trying to get on from it, but it's ridiculous. So uh, can we ever get, get out of it? Mm. Yeah, no, I like to say that if you're a person of color who's ever dated a white person. Yes. Oh, my you're gonna relate so much <laughs> yeah yeah and i tried to get around yeah. that i'm like he's european and it's like uh yeah so it, i was he like was uh, the good ones <laughs> except <laughs> been there done that <laughs> so i already said i wanted more people to see passover um but also i think rags parkland that was you know it had a little run it was in a, i mean the arts nova space was a great space for that it helped you know sort of serve the story and the feeling um, I don't think I want to see it in a bigger, you know, venue, but I just wish it had run longer so that more people that I told about it would have been able to get to see it because it really snuck up on me. It was one of those shows that I didn't, I didn't kind of know what I was walking into. And then when I saw it, it was like, oh, wow, I actually really needed that in this moment right now. And I'm on the street corner crying. I know a lot of people who had planned to see that show, but unfortunately there was a, a, a sprinkler accident that happened at Ars Nova that did very damage to the stage. So they had to cancel a few nights. And But that, uh, yeah, so I, I know a lot of people who didn't see it because they booked for that night. Um, since I have the microphone, I will simply say, I just because I said already, the Chinese lady by uh, Lloyd saw um, that Mai Yi produced had 11 performances. Um, it ran in rep with another show that was also lovely, and it was just like, it was one of the best plays I've seen in the last few years, and it just ached my heart that not, that if you just, like, if you were out of town those 11 days, that was it. And they didn't really, ad- they didn't advertise it very widely, and by the time Folks like me saw it and were like, holy God, everybody's got to see it. It was closing weekend. So you couldn't get people to the show. And I just, I cried for people to see that show. It's so incredible. It's this, this, this sort of 
lifelong journey of this young woman who uh, is born in China and is brought over as part of like a sort of oriental spectacle museum, like a P.T. Barnum type thing. And it's just her and the aforementioned handsomeness of Daniel K. Isaac. Um, as you follow this woman through her life as she sort of explores America as this sort of tokenization of Chinese culture. Um, and it's beautiful and profound and surprising and lyrical and Lloyd Tsai is one of the best writers ever by. And her performance, it's Stephanie, I'm, now I'm forgetting her last name. Performance is outrageous. But she's so fantastic in that, and I'm really glad I actually got to see it and write about it. Oh. You're giving me FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so sad right oh, now. I know. No, Rob called me out, and I'm like, why'd you only give 11 performances? I'm sorry. Hmm? I'm sorry. It's in a fall. I'm going to go with uh, Athena at Jack. I loved Athena. And I, I mean, maybe it's because of my blog or whatever, but I get a lot of questions from high school, college kids, especially women who are like, we need a, we need a two-hander. We want something that's not about guys uh, or not about love. How do we manage that? Or we're looking for like a good piece that we can throw up at our college. And this, this has been my go-to. I'm like, it's beautiful. It's smart. It's funny. It has great roles for women. And it's not centered on relationships with men. I'm going to shout out two shows that are actually going on tour in the coming year so that if you're a listener outside of New York, you might have the chance to hear them. And one of these will be very predictable. And one of these, I think I'll get some shocked faces. So the very predictable one is that the Lincoln Center production of Falsettos is going on tour. I love that show so much. I think I saw it six times on Broadway, including the morning after the election when it's probably the hardest I've ever cried in a theater. Uh, And I think it's a show that continues to speak new truths as uh, the world continues to turn. The other one is Cruel Intentions, the musical, (laughs) (laughs) which I want to say that is not a film that I have a particularly strong connection to. I'm not even 100% sure I've ever seen it start to finish, Uh, although I did grow up in the era when all those songs that they use in the show are of a piece for me. But it's what I thought was brilliant about it is that when it was here, it played at La Poisson Rouge, which is a cabaret space, and it did minimalism as good as, if not better than, any Ivo von Hova Broadway spectacular, but didn't, like, you know, no theater critic was writing about the brilliant minimalism of this show, but it, it told the story, told it well, it uh, was engaging, it was fun. I think it still actually has some interesting things to say about human nature and sexuality and whatever, and, uh, you know, we should all have such a good time in the theater. Good times are important. I think Liz said on the last episode, fun is important. Uh, so those are my two. Well, and that was like my friend who went to Clueless with me couldn't stop talking about Cruel Intentions as being just sort of the better sort of experience of what could have been a similar thing. There are only a couple companies that I go to like every show they do. Um, and that number has actually dwindled in years. <laughs> um, two of them are uh, uh, WP Theater, uh, formerly the Women's Project, and uh, Club Thumb particularly Club Thumb, because those shows run for, like, 10 performances. Um, And I wish people got to see Plano this year. I wish people had that opportunity. And in past years, I feel the same way. Very few shows are, like, what the Constitution means to me, which, like, only wasn't on my top list this year because it was last year, because it was at Club Thumb. But also D.W. Deborah and The World My Mama Rides. I can think of so many Club Thumb shows that were just some of the best things I've seen in a year that – so few people got to see because I think there are about a thousand seats available to every one of those shows. I think Al Mahim, I'm mispronouncing it. It's by Mac Rogers. It was at Brick Theater around the corner from where I live. And I was surprised. I got back from D.C. and I caught it on the last day. And it's about the angel that's the transitory angel between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And it takes place at the Brick Theater it's semi-casual because people aren't speaking in high verse. They're like, hey, here's John the Baptist, and he sort of comes out. <laughs> but in its, it starts off as funny and satirical. Then it sort of gets really deep and transformative about what it means to be a prophet, what it means to be chosen. John the Baptist gets, spoiler alert, John the Baptist gets killed in the Bible. What? <laughs> exactly. And, and Jesus comes into the forefront, and the women behind Jesus and John the Baptist, they even ha- he even has... Mary in there and she's describing the immaculate conception but also giving birth to Jesus and it's very gray as far as what happened whether she conceived being a virgin or not he he's written it in such a way that it leaves this gray area where you're like is she crazy hallucinating did someone rape her or is this actually her 
giving birth as a virgin. It's left very gray on purpose. And he manages to write something and it's acted in such a way that if you're a Christian, you could be like, see, if you're an atheist, you're like, she crazy. Yeah. Uh, and you're like listening to her describe sleeping out in the garden and how she all of a sudden was pregnant with Jesus. And you're like, dude, someone came up to you when you were sleeping and did this. And it's it's written in such a way that it's beautiful. Anyway. I just want to note, Mac was in that show. He didn't write it. Sean Williams wrote it. Sorry, Sean Williams. And then I saw musical chairs that he did write later on. But yes, Sean Williams, great job. So uh, what show, what made you cry at the theater? I cried and cried and cried at Torch Song. Yeah. Uh, that show just, like, and that's, it's like, I've read it. I've seen the movie, but it just, it, it just hit me in a way that like, oh, gushes. I cried when they started bringing the lights up in Angels in America. Look. They did that a lot. I saw many shows where we brought the lights up on the audience and made everyone aware of their own humanity. I cried every time. Um, also, the lucky ones yeah. made me cry. I don't know. I cried a lot at the theater. I always cry a lot at the theater. That's just what I do. I'm a crier and a laugher. Sorry. Escape um, to Margaritaville? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Queens, LCT3. Yeah, I'll say Queens. that. Mm. There is a there is a uh, show called uh, This Ain't No Disco um, that the Atlantic did. Was and it a disco? I still don't know. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. I don't uh, think it was. There were a lot of things that, that there were a lot of things that show was not. There were lasers in that show, and one of them was pointed for like the whole show directly at my face. <laughs> So I cried profusely at you that show. You sued them for that. I should. But your LASIK <laughs> is great. I know. Maybe they corrected your vision. <laughs> I went to a memorial for Intazaki Sean Gay, um, who wrote for Color Girls, um, and it was very emotional. It was at um, National Black Theater. So it was really um, an intimate coming together. I think it was like not even a week's time. But that was um, a moment at the theater where I cried. I remember learning her work when I was so young and how important it is for so many um, women, whether you're an artist or not. Um, I think people across the board can relate to that. Um, and then also What to Send Up When It Goes Down by Alicia Harris, which we mentioned previously. I, I didn't expect to cry, and I really like... I, I know a lot of people, especially black people, were like, oh, that show is so heavy. I was like, I'm tough. I can handle it. Um, but no, it did really, really get to me. Um, I, I don't think I really broke down until the end of the show when they asked all the people who are not black um, to leave. Um, and it was just that gathering of us in that space. There's um, a line in the show um, where one of the character, black characters is saying how their white friend um, ate them by mistake. It was like, oh, they just bit my finger. They didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. Uh, it wasn't intentional. They're my friend. But you know how even, you know, sometimes when you're you're close, the the issues of this <laughs> the history of our country kind of infiltrate relationships and weighs weighs you down and eats at you bit by bit. Um and so yeah, I cried. There's a lot of like last lines in shows that like brought it out in me uh one is is like uh one that it, even though it's a show that happened at the theater i work i don't care um it's the last line of eve song by patricia ion lloyd mm. that line just sucks the room the air out of the room um every time i've seen it uh the the uh, gabe ebert's final monologue and pass over by antoinette nawandu is like that's more of like a, i was like so shocked and rattled in my seat that i cried um and i think yeah i think those i'll, I'll go with those do you remember, can you say the last line from Eve's song? The last line of Eve's song is, um, is, uh, dad, is dad on his way over? Did he oh, get his tail right, light that's fixed? that's right, that's right. And mm. then the lights go down. And if you don't, if you haven't seen the show, you don't understand the context of it, but it's just, mm. it's really masterful. Ooh. I cried a lot, so I have a long list. I'm going to read all of them, all 72 shows. No. So Rags Parkland, as I said already, what the Constitution means to me. There was just a, I don't even remember now the line, but there was just something about sort of like her kind of acknowledging something that I was just like, oh. <laughs> Lewiston, Arnie Burton's uh, monologue in Lewiston totally gets me. Sexy Oklahoma, there was one of the times I saw it where I cried. Nanette, absolutely tears. Gone Missing, Oh, so God. many tears. So it's such an evening. Um, Angels in America, like the lights come up, the audience crying. And also for me, like personally, the waves, which was up at Powerhouse over the summer. Um, David Bucknam was someone I knew. And 
uh, lost very early in my life and having an opportunity to see that musical, which I had only heard previously at his funeral memorial, um, you know, and actually getting to see it in context. And it's about lost people in your life and people who influenced you. And so it just was like kind of the perfect, you know, reunion with his ghost in a way and beautifully done by the cast up there with Raul Esparza and other folks. I don't cry at the theater. Awesome. Cold-blooded. Oh. Sorry. 112 shows. Haven't cried at any of them. No lasers? <laughs> no, no lasers. No lasers, no onions, no small children. Onions. onions kill me. Like, I had... Animals. Oh, My Sweet Land, which was last year. Like, the onion chopping in that. I had to... Like, my eyes were shut for oh, half oh, the show. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, the onion chop- Yeah, at that show, because of the onion chopping, like, I got teared up a little. <laughs> uh... Did anybody leave any shows early, like like Jack's doing? Currently, at this moment. Did anyone leave any shows early, and what shows did you leave? I'm, I don't leave shows because I'm not a quitter. <laughs> That's me. I'm like, maybe it'll be better since the second act. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I, oh, I have two sort of related stories. This is terrible, but not intentionally. But there was a show that I went and saw. Uh, I saw Wild Goose Dreams at the public, which I was fine. I, I wasn't, like, thrilled by it, but it was fine. Um, but I had to go to the bathroom, like, in the middle of the show. And they made so clear that, like, once you leave, you cannot go back in. And I was like, I can't stay in here anymore. And so I waited for a blackout. I ran. I ran down all those stairs. Just, like, jog, 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 jog. Went to the bathroom. Jogged back up. And then I was like, please. Please let me back in. Please. My purse is in there. My friend is in there. Please. Uh, and then they let me back in. So it, that was fine. Um, there was another... Way sh- to work the system. I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll wait. I'll be so quiet, please. Um, <laughs> and they're like, but if you leave again. I was like, I'm not leaving again. Okay. Um, and then another show that I'm not... Oh, it's because so David was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I have the purse. I don't have Liz. Yeah. What's going to happen? <laughs> Bye, David. Um, so then this other one, I'm not going to name the show um, because they are aware of it and they have since apologized. So I don't want to shame the theater. So I went to another show that had no intermission and I was with my husband and he got up to go to the bathroom and came back in. And then a little while later, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of have to go to the bathroom, too. So I got up, left, and they wouldn't let me back in. <laughs> so I was just standing there and they're like, well, we have a lot of entrances coming from here, so we can't let you back in. I was like, uh, oh, Okay, so I literally spent the last 20 minutes of the show um, with my ear pressed against the door of the theater, like, listening to it. And then um, there were all these actors with me who were getting ready to make an entrance. And there was a moment where I was like, what if I just ran, like, right I would have. I would and just, like, jogged back into my seat. Um, but yeah. I didn't because I thought that would just be too much. Um, so, I, so, yeah, I experienced the, the last moments of this show um, outside the theater, um, but they, like I said, they have since apologized. So I told somebody who told somebody involved in the show, and they reached out and they apologized. So there you go. So I have an anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, because like deep, I do not leave the theater. I am not a quitter, but also I don't want to jeopardize any free tickets. Um, so I was at Niceties at MTC, and there's um, a part in the show um, where there's, it, it's, it, the whole play is two characters, uh, an older white professor and a young uh, black student. And so the student says, just admit it, you're a racist, say it, say I'm a racist, say I'm a racist. And then everyone was just quiet and like, oh my gosh, is the professor going to admit it? Are they going to say yes? Um, and then this guy just jumped up and ran out of the theater in a fit of fury. And then I laughed. I was like, so you're a racist? I was like, did he run out going, I'm a racist! That's the purpose of the show. out. Yes. We got a runner. Racist runner. So that probably was actually the funniest moment of the year. Just in my head, you know, I didn't really scream, but yeah. Okay, I'm glad Jack has left because I left two of the Shakespeare in the park. Oh, oh, oh. It's easy to walk out of that. You Sorry. just walk into the park. Well, I mean, okay, so the first one was I went to Othello and it started and they performed like two and a half. Well, first there was like 30 minute hold 
then like introductions because it was opening night and then Oscar's got to get up there and give his usual blah blah speech every year and thank Bank of America and then finally so it starts like 30 minutes late and then they perform for like two and a half minutes and then it starts pouring so then they have to hold so then they hold for like an hour maybe they only held for 30 minutes but then it's already now an hour late and it's a three-hour show and I'm like I just don't even think Corey Stoll is handsome the leather costumes are terrible and I'm just like I don't need to be here oh I know I'm just thinking chafing like none of it I'm like I'm going home I'm I know how this ends good luck to you all Like, it's just, it wasn't, I wasn't in the mood to be wet in a dress at the opening. At, like, who cares? Um, and I also left at the Gospel at Colonus. Sorry. Um, and also, I really wish I had left Peace for Mary Francis, but I didn't. So I regret staying. So I, I used to not be a quitter. Um, and then, <laughs> I don't know, I changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I left four things this year. And I can tell you at least... Uh, at least two of them. Uh, one of them I can't tell you because my friend was in it, and my friend doesn't know that I went to that show, and they'll never know <laughs> because I left. There was a, a show by a certain downtown theater artist at the uh, next door New York Theater Workshop. Uh, his, his name rhymes with Snack Wellman, uh, which was insufferably boring. Um, and it was just him basically yelling shouting at the audience a tiny audience for an hour straight and then he was going to do it again for another hour straight and i could not i could not could not also at that same institution um a light shining in buckinghamshire the uh the carol churchill play about um the reformation that was like reading the encyclopedia hot topic church reformation Uh uh-huh and well and i thought it was going to be interesting and then it wasn't and then uh, I left with, I believe, uh, one-third of the audience. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had left, too. And then there was a show... I was glad I stayed. Uh, there was a show that was really buzzy that people loved called uh, Catch as Catch Can, where there was a lot of double casting, which I thought was stupid. <laughs> Whoa! So I left. Helen Shaw's gonna come and... Yeah. Come and, come and uh, tell me that I should have seen the rest of the show? Yeah, no, she'll just yell at you. Cool. Like tackle you or whatever. Cool. I didn't like it though. So I, I was a bad audience member and it was better that I wasn't there because it sucking at it. The show I left was Children of a Lesser God. <laughs> and I brought I a friend. for the talk back. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, it was a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. The sun was out. I brought a friend at intermission. We turn and look at each other and we just know. We both get up. We don't have to speak. We know. There's no way in hell I'm staying here on such a beautiful day to watch a play so poorly directed and acted and creepy. Uh, And so we both walk outside, and it's this huge relief. You walk out, (laughs) sun is shining, life is going on. We're like, oh, my God. There's... There's nothing better than leaving bad theater. It's like this huge exhale of like, oh my God, I'm alive again. It's I like was I'm buried. Free. Yeah, I'm free. I got out early of prison. <laughs> so, catch as catch can. We had a long discussion after that because I did not understand the double casting and why that was special. I could conceive of it if it was directed differently or like something. Yes, if you want to say that. Uh, yes, I, and that's all I'll say. But there were many other shows. Peace for Mary Francis. I, I really severely thought about leaving, but I didn't out of respect for the actors who were on stage who I really like. And they did a great job. It just the story wasn't good. I would say I was most alive with you is one. If I thought about walking out, I would have walked out. <sighs> Woof. Um, I definitely like ran over my grocery list in my head during a show at some point in the second half that I wish I'd left. I have perfected the art of willing myself to sleep. Yes. I count the grid. I check out what you've got in the grid. How many park camps we got up there? I go through my grocery list. And at least you haven't, you know, wasted the whole evening. Exactly. I was going to do it anyway. So I mean, I let my plus one go at one show where I was like, you be free. <laughs> Escape. Mercy I have to stay here and die. But you, you could live. <laughs> so this is what I made up because I feel like this came up on Twitter a lot um, this year and last year. 
um, and deep, I don't know if you count. Um, if you were hosting a panel at Broadway Con or Off-Broadway Con, if you prefer, uh, what would it be? You already did it. That's oh, why. I yeah. Oh, is this where I shamelessly plug? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, coincidentally. <laughs> <laughs> this is all very natural. I can exactly. see this transition. Uh, no, it was it was Jose's idea. I'm blaming this on him because I do not like crowds. But Jose and I are actually doing a panel at Broadway Con. We're doing Token Theater Friends live, a live reco- podcast recording of our show. And fun fact, we have special guests. We're going to... We're going to have Max Vernon and Diana O, another performer who Fun. also moved my Kinsey oh, scale. Oh, God, love Diana O. And Penny Maria Jackson. <laughs> I wasn't invited. I'm just going to crash. It's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll sneak in. <laughs> I actually answered this on Twitter, so I can just steal my answer. Uh, although I'm going to shift it a little bit. On Twitter, I said, uh, quoting a chorus line, can the grown-ups please smoke Broadway for adults? <laughs> because... When I was a teenager, we saw the advent of Broadway for little kids with Beauty and the Beast and all that followed. Now, if you look around, there is an all-time high of Broadway musicals that take place in and around high school. Now, it's not like the kids who got into theater of Beauty and the Beast are now teenagers. Like, those people are now, uh, you know, married with kids of their own. But it's like a weird moment when we have Dear Evan Hansen and Be More Chill and Mean Girls and, 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 and. And so... I sort of wonder, like, what is the future for the musical for adults? And there certainly are musicals for adults. The Band's Visit is a great example of a musical that is clearly, like, aiming at an adult audience. But we see fewer and fewer of them. And I don't count things like Pretty Woman. Because. (laughs) Uh, and, And that's not to disparage things like SpongeBob, which I loved. Uh, but I, I have a big place in my heart for for shows that tackle adult themes and adult perspectives, and I worry that as uh, just the commerciality of Broadway gets bigger and more overwhelming that those things are being sort of priced out of, and I know Broadway is not the only thing, but this is BroadwayCon we're talking about, so that's, that's my topic. Or it also is all getting shuffled to plays rather than musicals. Right, and it's been a, it's a great season for plays, and it's an even better season for plays if you compare it to the seasons for musicals we're having. Mm-hmm. But Sexy Oklahoma, all the adults can go to that. That's a revival of a show from before these. <laughs> <laughs> I would host a panel about empathy. I talked about this on Maximo a few years ago, and I think it's important. It, it's not that the audiences are white. It's not even that the audiences are old. It is a lack of empathy, which I think can be corrected or worked on through training. As a person of color, from a very early age, we are taught by media and by culture to empathize with people who don't look like us because mostly we see white people. Mm -hmm. So at a very early age, we're trained to see Indiana Jones in a picture of myself as Indiana Jones and to be shocked when he gets hurt to root for him when he wants to kiss the girl, to do all these things. I think a lot of older white audiences, because they grew up in that same environment, never had to see people of color. So they do not know how to look through the world, look at the world through their eyes. They do not feel their pain. They do not have the ability to empathize with black people, except in extreme cases of tragedy or distress. They can't see black people and people of color in the nuances of life. And I don't think it it is making the audience more diverse, but it's dealing with the audience that presently exists and Mm -hmm. going through some sort of retraining program as theater makers, as critics, as dramaturgs. If there is a way to guide, trick, train, whatever you want to call it, these old audiences into seeing people of color and to seeing the world through their eyes, then they will naturally go see other plays and be able to relate to the characters. We won't have to have this discussion. They won't walk out of plays when someone asks, are you a racist? They will be mm-hmm. looking at it from the black woman's yeah. eyes mm-hmm. and ask that same question, mm-hmm. not only to the character, but about themselves. And it's the best part of theater that a lot of white people are missing out on. The ability to sit there and, and see the world through Othello or see the world through Hamlet's eyes, that's the huge part of theater, at least for me. And I can't believe that people walk around the world who just want to see theater as a spectacle. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. who don't want to have that catharsis or empathy or catharsis that happens because of empathy. Uh, and so I think I would want to host a panel about that as theater makers, as critics, as dramaturgs, if there is an effective way of doing that. Because then they would naturally want the Cambodian rock yeah. play. They would exactly. naturally want to see the world through different perspectives. Well, you know what? I'll join you. Um, I'll be a guest on your panel as well. Thank you very Notice much. Notice how busy I'm becoming. My <laughs> <You're just> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I actually was um, at the National Arts Marketing um, Conference in November, and there was a speaker, and she said, you guys, I saw Friends. It was a black lady. She said, I saw Friends. I got it. Just to simply say, like, Stories can be understood. You don't have to see someone who looks like you to connect. So, yes, that is very true. Also, I've created um, a model, a training program, so to speak. I I had to do it for this fellowship that I was in. So if there are are any funders, anyone with um, money you're looking to burn, you know, for a good cause, hey, let's touch base. Maybe we can make it happen, partnering with some theater companies. And then I'll go ahead and say that my panel would be don't know, ask someone, or hire someone who does. Going back to that wig situation, it wasn't that difficult to figure out what to do. And again, as we're all moving toward uh, being more inclusive and trying to do more, it's hard to do that if you have an all-white staff, an all-straight staff. Like, how can you tell these stories? Um, so yes, let's think outside the box. Know that you don't know everything. And look, find the resources for people who do so you can really tell that authentic story. Okay, here's my panel. Picture it. I'm on stage. I'm in a beautiful a khaki ensemble, and I have a hat. To my left, all the animals from Once on this Island. <laughs> to my right, all the animals from the ferry. <laughs> Off stage, the dog from Annie. This is the panel. That's it. It is just a Broadway animal experience. Um, that's, that's really like all I want to do um, at BroadwayCon is just bring all the animals in a room, and I'm going to play, uh, play my... my um, What's his name? Steve Irwin fantasies out in a, in a <laughs> wonderful ensemble. Is your bunny going to be a guest on Absolutely. the panel? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, the, the rabbit has uh, tried. And you know, she was cast. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the podcast. She was cast for a commercial. And then they called me and they go, we're sorry. She's too black. She's not going to pick up the camera well. And I was yeah. like, are you kidding mm. me? Mm. <laughs> so she got fired mm. for being black. Mm. I'm just putting it out there. Mm. Being a bunny while black. Yes. <laughs> you can't do anything. You can't be anything. No, no. Can I ask an important clarifying question about this panel? Yes. Can we feed the Broadway animals? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having all of those animals in one room together in a hotel. Growy <laughs> 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 petting zoo. One I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fine. It, they'll be fine. They'll all love each other, I'm sure. So I, uh, as a playwright, I write plays about the internet. Um, that's a thing that I do. And I would love to host a panel of writers who write about the internet, particularly writers who do it well, (laughs) because there are very many who do not. And so people like Jennifer Haley, Kiara Hudes, Joe Trace, and many more, like I I would like to take suggestions uh, for um, particularly writers of color, particularly trans writers who write about the internet, because there need to be more writers who write about the internet because it is a primary way that people (laughs) communicate and that's what people are doing in plays and so if we can just get together and figure out like how to do it most effectively how to portray the internet most effectively it will help a lot of people because there are uh there are certain plays that try to avoid the internet and cell phones and things cough the humans um like why why do you put a play in the basement so you don't have cell service when people have cell phones and it's part of their life i don't get it why don't we just let it be part of our lives. Give me a Sloan commission. (laughs) (laughs) Our last question. Aliens make contact with Earth, ask for the written text of one play. What play do you give them? Someone else has got to jump in because I didn't come up with my answer yet. I guess I'll I'll go back in time. (laughs) I'll take us back to 1965 during the Civil Rights Movement. So the show that comes to mind uh, for me is The Day of Absence by Douglas Turner Ward. Um, And it was produced by the Negro Ensemble Company. It's a play in which, this is close, 
directly related to one of the shows mentioned before. All of the black characters are white, and they're trying to figure out how to live their lives without all of the black people to do the menial task for them. Um, so it's really just really interesting, eye-opening, perspective shifting. And I, I did a play, I think, in elementary. You know, I was, we were, look, they were raising us to like be fighters. That's heavy for elementary school. <laughs> it really, African Heritage Cultural Arts Center. <laughs> I would show that to aliens um, just to say, you know, we all need each other to survive, right? And so I think that's my little snippet. I picked from this year because I so did I. I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what the rule of this question was. I don't think I'd encountered it before. Um, so I picked Queens by Martina Mayock. So did I. Okay, Liz, you can explain it. I said it. No, no, you're better. You do it. No, no, it's fine. I just, I liked that it was a sort of complicated conversation about immigration, about immigration waves, about the way in which um, immigrants can take advantage of one another, can support one another, can find family. It just seemed to me to reflect a, a particular lens that we don't often see on stage, which I think Martina's work often does. And I thought it, she did so well. And I thought it was, you know, obviously a great cast, but like the the play itself. I have a plan. So first of all, I just, I'm going to talk to these aliens. I'm going to say, listen, you don't have to take just one. There, we have these great things called hard drives, and they're about the same size. They can be the size of an SD card. They can be a flash drive. They're smaller than a printed script. I can give you thousands, thousands of scripts on you a flash drive. You time for that. <laughs> you don't know their However, alien lives, no, 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 no. Ben. No, 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 no. But I just, and I say, you can pick one, but you can pick. You have choice. And they'll say, okay, and I'll, I'll give them the flash drive, plug it into their spaceship, and then the virus from, uh, from Independence Day takes over their ship, skull, laughing skull viruses the ship, <laughs> their ship gets disabled in space, their life support goes down, everyone not wearing a spacesuit, they all die. And then we bring a team of space marines up, we clear the rest of the ship, steal the ship, and then we start galactic exploration of humanity. So uh, you're welcome, humanity. Now, if I have to actually answer the question. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were going to give them the aliens. And I was really, really... <laughs> aliens come and ask, how can we understand you? And your answer is genocide. And I think, honestly, that is the most appropriate and accurate. I mean, that would probably be the thing that actually happens. Because right. yeah. so, yeah. humanity is terrible. The, those aliens, come on. Come on, come on. They're the, the, the giant, like, the, the, I'm presuming these are the aliens from Starship Troopers, right? Sure. I feel like these aliens would definitely, like, walk out of the flick, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I don't like these aliens. Um, but if I were to have to actually answer this question uh, from this year, I'd say Fairview, uh, in general, I'd say the works of Jackie Sibley Drury. Sibley's Drury, my favorite is really. Um, and if they want something more producible... <laughs> <laughs> the commercial alien. Yeah. I'll give them the flash drive. <laughs> I love it. Um, really quickly during this interim, I'll just say to clarify, I did take us back in time, but 19, the 1960s were really where the black arts movement started, and we're really seeing a full push um, of that today in our society. So just making that link for someone who's like, what? Random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she mentioned that show before she was even born. But yeah, the connection to all of the black theater um, that's you know happening today, this year. I guess I will say Divine Days, if we're talking about in the last 100 or 200 years. It's an adaptation of Leon Forrest's epic novel on America and black life. It's sort of a combination of Eugene O'Neill's Iceman Cometh with Shakespeare. It's poetic, it's operatic, it reaches these heights, and I saw it adapted as a 1,000-page book into this three-hour, very messy, beautiful, big monstrosity that I've never seen anything like it, different levels, and this is at Northwestern years ago. Uh, and it was just out of control. If I have to choose something from this year, I would either say Fairview or Queens, or what the Constitution means to me, because it's about us living right now. Um, but I think there's so many good plays this year that it's hard to choose from, so. Yay, choices. I just want to push back at the premise of the question because I think the plays aren't meant to be read. 
Um, they're meant to be seen or experienced. Well, once Ben takes over that spaceship, you can just use that. <laughs> I think that we should enlist them to become a new, like, whatever the intergalactic version of a bus and truck company is. <laughs> I also, my instinct was to go back in time. And it's funny because I don't think this is the show that I would show them because I don't think it works as theater, but it does work on the page because it's a sort of a lousy adaptation of a good book, which is working. And look, I've spent the last two years like enmeshed in the labor movement, so that's sort of when I think about like how do we want to show the better sides and the worst sides of humanity, like that's where we want to look, but that's my answer. Yeah, I also took the thought of like plays aren't meant to be read. So I would give them the uh, movie adaptation of West Side Story, even though I have a lot of issues with it, but you know Rita Moreno, they should know who she is and how and yeah. how amazing <laughs> she is, and they should you know listen to like one of the best scores written in the American musical canon because you know what I feel like at the end of the day music is going to be what translates across species. And <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here dancing, um, remembering the choreography from this show. Exactly. And the themes of, you know, racism and looking beyond differences will hopefully convince them to not kill all of us, which and enslave us or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, they would have a right to, but hopefully they don't. This is like a cue situation where they're, like, testing us with the one play. Because I assume that if aliens land here, like, we're not going to beat them. Because they have mastered intergalactic travel. I mean, they have, like, antimatter reactors, right? Exactly. Or, like, light. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just (laughs) imagining, like, an old school musical where it's like, we got to save the planet. Let's put on a show. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that it's funny that you think a show that's all about, like, intolerance and gang violence is the one that's going to convince them that we're worth keeping. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but we get music. past it. That's the theme. We get past the violence. We're self-aware. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or I'm um, going back to a slave play. Who knows? Maybe they'll land and we'll beat them with biological warfare. They'll just get sick from all of our diseases and just, you know. I mean, that yeah. was what War of the Worlds was about. Yeah. 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 So just cough on them. It'll be, be fine. <laughs> And, uh, and on that apocalyptic note, <laughs> uh, I just want to say it was so great to get together with all of you guys and talk theater. You know, I, I know that people have reached out to me about missing Maximu, and I've missed Maximu. And, um, yeah, I'd love to keep seeing theater with y'all and keep talking theater with y'all. And, and I'm so happy that we were able to do this. This was so fun. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay, wherever you are in yes. Utah and all the people. Thanks for listening. We don't know when we'll be back next year, but stay tuned following us on Twitter at Maximu or stay subscribed to the podcast. And who knows? <laughs>